Welcome to Trace on the Case, the podcast where we talk about unique cases, economic damage claims, financial investigations, and various aspects of white-collar crime. My name is Paul Rodrigues, and I'll be your host. My partner, Deb Temkin, and I have over 60 years of experience between us in doing what we love to do, tracing money and tracing the people. We've seen it all, and in this show, we're going to be taking you below the surface, deep into our world, so you can learn how we work and how we've solved some very complex problems. Because let's face it, the most tricky cases require bringing in the experts. This is Trace on the Case. We have a tremendous episode ahead of us. We are happy you're here, so let's get into it. This is Paul Rodrigues with Trace on the Case, Episode 6, Drugs and Gambling, is the title of our episode today. I was out here for the last week or so on vacation, and then I was buried when I got back. So I hope you guys are still with us, and you will enjoy this episode. This episode is, like I said, it's about drugs and gambling, that was the main motivation for the uh, employee embezzlement that was going on within a company that I was brought in to investigate. The company had a long history of being a cash cow. It did extremely well over time. And then there was a change in ownership and it continued to do well. However, the profits were slowly going down uh, over time, it's a manufacturing company. They specialized in manufacturing a niche product, and there wasn't a lot of uh, variation or um, different ways of making it. So the costs should have been pretty steady, both the fixed costs and the variable costs, um, the input costs, and any incremental costs uh, to produce this product over time was should be fairly consistent and the costs had been going up over time but it was no big deal because the company was growing and it was just earning more and more um, net profits over time than what it had in the previous year so everybody was happy so let me set this up a little bit here's the environment the new owner who had bought it was an absentee owner he was investing his money in buying a business and uh, he was going to have his son run it. But his son really wasn't that active in the business, didn't really know that much about it. And they, he was really more learning at the ground floor and with the manufacturing process and that type of thing. So they had a uh, vice president of the company, a CFO, um, and really the majority of the people were supervisors, all manufacturing related. Well, there was no separation of duties uh, at this client. There was no other accountants. It was just the CFO. And he couldn't explain very well, you know, what was happening with the financials. So I was brought in to take a look. Now, the CFO 
<clears throat> was not happy when I showed up there. And of course, I didn't say I was doing a fraud investigation. I didn't know what I was investigating yet, except that there were decreasing per unit um, profits, basically, your incremental profits, or gross profit, I should say, on a per unit basis. Um, and when I took a look at it, you could see that some was in the material costs and uh, the majority of it was in labor. And so I'm taking a look at, at this information, trying to go through it. The CFO was, let's put it this way, he wasn't cooperative, very obstinate, kind of a mean, nasty person. Um, did everything he could to make my, my job just very difficult. And the system that he had for recording his, um, his books and records for the company and keeping track of the debits and credits and the transactions were all being done manually. We're talking old system where you really had a ledger, a paper ledger, and then for the general ledger, and then you also had subsidiary uh, ledgers as well that would feed into the general ledgers. And these were all handwritten. The company, since the, the owner was an absentee owner, like I said, it was just an investment holding and something that his son could work at, um, at this company and potentially take it over one day. But at any rate, the, the nature of it was fairly steady. There wasn't really a, a big change in, in anything. And the problem was, is that to get records, you had to go through everything manually. It's not like you could just run a report out of the system um, because you couldn't. And they had a separate modules for keeping track of, let's say, the uh, accounts payable, um, accounts receivable, and payroll, and the investment accounts and that type of thing. So when I was going through these uh, journals, everything tied out. The company, um, what was they they did have a review. And uh, so they had an independent accounting firm do a review. And a review is basically more of a analytical verification, taking a look at the changes in numbers from year to year uh, between accounts. So it'd be like if you did a vertical analysis and you look for changes um, from year to year in the same accounts, would be a horizontal analysis. So that's what was done by the audit firm that uh, was performing a review. It's more of an analytical um, review. It's not, you're not doing uh, sampling and going down to the detail level unless there's reason to do so. Well, and like I said, everything was pretty much uh, on paper and written in these journals. So I had noticed that uh, some of these journals were written, they were in ink, and some of them were written in pencil. And so I went through it, I could see every once in a while something was erased, and you'd add it up and it made sense and it footed and tied. 
And then occasionally I would see in the other journals, there would sometimes be, the ink would be whited out and it would be rewritten over the cross, the top of it. And so I couldn't tell what was going on. So I kind of kept track of the nature and the type of expenses where this was occurring. And I decided to both take a look at the detail level and then see how it tied in with the ledger, the general ledger, and tie in with ultimately with the financials. So I had to do a lot of tracing between the different various journals and ledgers, and then finally into the financial statement groupings. And I could see that there was a shift in some of the costs that were happening and that they were being reallocated. And the this was happening both across with the uh, retirement accounts and within the payroll accounts. And w- they had, like I said, a separate payroll module that would handle, you know, and do it at the end of the year, your W-2s and print those up and send them out. And I noticed that the totals that were being reported for tax did not equal the totals that were being reported in the books and records. So something was off. So apparently the audit firm did not compare um, the actual uh, 1099s, or excuse me, the W-2s that were being reported um, to what was in the financials directly. So what was happening was, is that the CFO was paying himself extra and then sometimes even bonuses and just different amounts at different time periods and was taking the amount, let's say he took out $10,000 one week, that then would be spread across all the other employees. And so he didn't have it included in his W-2. He wasn't taxed on it. He would get the $10,000 and the other individuals would show, you know, let's say you had 100 employees, you know, each one would be showing an extra $100, let's say, Um, extra $100 of income and they're reporting their taxes on it. So they're actually paying taxes on fictitious income is what was happening. Then likewise, whenever there was uh, withholding for the 401ks, uh, and I believe they also had a, um, uh, it was a profit sharing, he would do all of the various allocations and he would short what was going into their retirement account, and he would increase what was going into his. So the gross total of what was paid out to everybody, including him, was correct, but not at the detail level. He was being overpaid and the other people were being underpaid. He was receiving all of the, not all of the, but a disproportionate amount of the retirement savings specifically coming out of the um, profit sharing account. So 
<laughs> when I went through and did all of this analysis, it, it added up to millions. It was incredible. And this was, uh, this, this uh, individual, this uh, CFO that was there, was there for, I think it was uh, going on 30 years or so and was nearing retirement and was going to retire uh, within the next few years afterward. And so when I caught this, it was like, are you sure? So I had other people take a look at my information and the things that I pulled together. And of course, my numbers made sense. The analysis was spot on, um, pulled it together and could prove the amount that uh, this individual had embezzled. As a result of that, they were asking for next steps. The next steps are, and I'm not telling the CFO, obviously, what's occurring and what my findings are. I'm reporting directly to the uh, owners of the company. And I said, well, we need to find out what you have for insurance coverage, employee theft and dishonesty coverage, uh, fidelity bonds, whatever. Let's see how much we've got insurance coverage for. Um, and then we'll form a, a plan of attack, so to speak, of what to do next. So we did. Um, so basically, at the end of the day, um, there was only coverage for, I would say, a little bit less than half of what the millions that uh, this individual stole. And the fortunate thing was, is since he was stealing both in current monies and he, he was deferring some of these monies from the other accounts into his account, um, he had quite a large retirement savings you could see what that number was since uh, they were the plan administrator. And they also, um, and also what he had in his, in his profit sharing, because his profit sharing calculations would have been higher if he's showing higher income and he would reallocate on top of it. So he, he definitely manipulated all of these numbers to work for him. So knowing that this person was a mean and nasty person, um, and I've been up against these individuals before. It, 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 it's not always the case, but typically I use it as a, um, as a red flag. We're there to help the company, and this guy is hindering my efforts. Uh, so I knew that there must be a reason for it. And that is, is he wanted me not to find anything. He was trying to get himself to distance himself from various things and he was trying to frustrate me so that I would just give up uh, so I told him well for the insurance coverage what is beneficial is is if you you just go to them and you tell them wow gee this guy's been stealing and we think it's this amount and whatever you're not going to have a very good claim so what we did is is we put the whole claim together like it would be for the insurance, um, created a whole file of all the monies that this person uh, had embezzled that we could identify. Um, the individual was also making payments to a uh, shell company 
that was owned by his son. And um, that added up to a couple million over time. With obviously a various, uh, the name was a, uh, similar to some of the other vendors as well. So you can see a common theme here. So as not to draw any specific attention, you know, to the name of this uh, vendor. Very similar sounding, sounds like a company that they would be buying uh, raw products from uh, to make it into a finished product. But anyways, so I said, well, let's, uh, let's now go. We've got enough information. We've found enough money. There's probably not going to be any recovery after this point uh, since the damages are so high. And uh, let's sit him down and uh, talk to him and see if he will confess and admit to stealing these monies. And sure enough, that's what we did. So I did the interview of the individual and uh, very mean and nasty at the beginning. But then as I went through and showed him, hey, what do you make of this? What do you make of that? Uh, you did this, didn't you? Yes, he did. And he just melted. So this mean and nasty person turned into a, uh, he was crying, um, scared, uh, just the complete opposite of 180 of what he was, at least his, uh, um, his persona that he was uh, projecting before. And um, he confessed to a whole bunch of things. And then I also wanted to find out usually what the motive is, what's going on, um, and see if I can find out any additional information uh, that might be helpful in, in the investigation. He admitted that his motivation for doing this was he was a gambling addict, and he also had a small uh, drug habit as well. But the real drug habit was with his son, who was a uh, drug addict and had been in and out of rehab, and he had been providing money to him. Well, he was just taking that money and buying more drugs, and that's why he was never getting rehabilitated. So those were the motivations, pretty sad state of affairs. Um, and uh, the individual admitted to all this, wrote down a confessatory statement of what he had done, um, how much he had took, how he did it. I sat there and said, hey, you need to explain this and um, had him sign it and date it, and, uh, which would be sufficient for uh, evidence um, you know, in a court of law, and especially with the, uh, the insurance company, um, that they now have a confession. We've identified and quantified the amount. We have all the evidence, so they'll pay pretty quickly on that claim. So we had accomplished everything that we had set out to do. Second of all, since we knew that a lot of the ill-gotten gains was in his retirement accounts, I asked him, how do you intend to pay this back and make it right? We discussed those amount of monies in there, and he said he would forfeit those and hand those over to the company. So he put all that into the statement. We put a little bow tie on it, uh, presented it to legal counsel, and then they took over from there.
So we had actually um, uh, a very good case, a very strong case, and um, we had a pretty good recovery. I'd say, you know, it was a little bit less than half, but, uh, you know, that's not bad getting back a couple million that you weren't expecting to. And there was obviously cleanup work and things that needed to be done to fix all the amounts that had been um, misrepresented in the past. And uh, there was a huge compliance effort with that to straighten out W-2s and um, withholding amounts and that type of thing. So it ended up being a a fairly decent-sized project. But anyways, that's what uh, you need to look for not just uh, looking at money, you need to look at motive, you need to look at other um, items that may indicate that uh, something is amiss, something's wrong. And, you know, another problem too at this manufacturing company, um, when I was talking to the individual, you know, why, why would he do this if they were paying him so well and everything was fine? Um, he had some resentment, uh, and I, I think it stemmed from he's in a dirty little room for an office smaller than my dorm room that I had um, with no window in it, um, just a, um, you know, from the manufacturing, the dust and the dirt and, and the grime and the smell is just everywhere, and he had to as he said, put up with it and tolerate that for 29, 30 years um, while the owner is off golfing and taking trips to Europe and whatever. So there was some entitlement there. He, he, he felt that he was there, stuck, doing all the work, keeping everything uh, financially together, um, and everyone else was financially benefiting and... Uh, and he wasn't benefiting as much. So he was able to rationalize and justify it in his mind, um, the wrongdoing. And, uh, but he knew ultimately it was wrong and admitted that. So at any rate, uh, that is it for Trace on the Case, episode six. And you can see how strong... Other factors are that play into changing a a person, uh, their mindset and their motivation from one of loyalty to the company to one, I'm going to get out of the company what I can and get into other things that they shouldn't be. This, This person admitted that they shouldn't be gambling. They just can't stop. Um, it was uh, it was a pretty extreme addiction. So, at any rate, that's it for Trace on the Case. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week, Episode 7. Take care, and have a great week. Should you have a problem or something seems amiss in your company? Well... You can always give me a call. It's Paul Rodrigues at Trace on the Case. My phone number is 
337-0458 or you can contact me at paul at traceforensic.com Thank you for listening to another episode of Trace on the Case. If you've enjoyed the show, there are many more on the way and we encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help the show. To learn more about myself, Deb, and Trace as an organization, visit traceforensic.com. And thank you again for joining us. We're very excited to talk with you again next week. So bring a friend.